entering the Freedom Hut. The State of the Union is stronger than it has ever been, according to Trump last night. And one of the best speeches of his presidency will break all of it down for you. And also an expected acquittal in the Senate from the sham impeachment, plus huge job numbers for Trump. And, oh, no results yet from Iowa. We got lions, tigers and bears. Oh, my. Coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I am thrilled to report to you tonight that our economy is the best it has ever been. Our military is completely rebuilt, with its power being unmatched anywhere in the world, and it's not even close. Our borders are secure. Our families are flourishing. Our values are renewed. Our pride is restored. And for all of these reasons, I say to the people of our great country, And to the members of Congress, the state of our union is stronger than ever before. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. Man, we have so much in store for you today. Um, I usually prepare to say not all that much about a State of the Union address because most State of the Union addresses are forgettable, boring, and pretty boilerplate. It's when the speechwriters get to do their thing and hope that there's a turn of phrase that they maybe become known for later on. And then the speech writer gets a bigger advance on a book or a better contributor gig at some cable network and so on and so forth. George Bush gave a very memorable State of the Union address after 9-11. So not all State of the Union addresses are forgettable. That's not the case. But usually they are. Let's just get right to it. Last night's State of the Union address by President Trump was absolutely incredible. It was Trump at his best. It was a masterclass in stagecraft, narrative, and the theatrics, and I mean that in the best way, the theatrics of politics, making it matter to people, to normal people, to you and me. Not trying to prove, oh, how wonky we are, or just fill us with flowery phrases that mean nothing. What does this mean for the American people? What has a Trump presidency meant for for you, for me, for everyone, including the people in this country who unfortunately are still suffering from an acute case of Trump derangement syndrome? Perhaps it is now chronic as we are going into year four. The president brought home very human stories to all of us, hero after hero, stories of loss and then redemption. Stories of courage and sacrifice and made it real to us because of the connection that he had to the people who were in that chamber and the people across the country watching it. And now put on top of all of that a record of accomplishment, which is how he started off his speech where any, any person who was trying to be objective about how you would judge a results-driven presidency would have to say, how could this person, how could President Donald J. Trump not be reelected given this reality? I, I can't even remember. Usually I'm pretty good about 
the top line items, the the the, the major takeaways from a speech like this about the, you know the specific data points of success. Not just, oh, we're doing great, everything's great, we're amazing, we're America, we're number one. I mean, that's all cool. We are amazing. We are number one. But I mean, what are the things that are based on the numbers? You have the lowest average unemployment for this presidency of any presidency of all time since we've been able to measure this. Lowest African-American unemployment of all time. Highest stock market of all time. Stock market up 70%. My friends, for those of us who just are, are, have 401ks or pension plans or you know, anyone who has any exposure, which is really all of us in different ways, to this economy under Trump is getting wealthier if, you're, if you even touch upon the, the markets and the overall economy. It's been astonishing to watch a president for whom the expectations were set, not just low, the expectations were set at catastrophe. They promised us catastrophe. And what we have had is magnificent success. I did not feel this way under the Bush administration. This is not a this is not some partisan. Oh, I just break out the pom poms and do the dance. The only dancing that was happening last night, though, was Trump dancing in the Democrats end zone, doing backflips in front of their bench and then running up into the stands to make out with the opposing team's quarterback's girlfriend. That's the only dancing that was really happening last night. It was amazing to watch. But under the Bush administration, there were failures. There were collapses. There were setbacks. There were bad decisions made. Those of you who are wondering, I, mean, I could sit here, never mind the end of the Bush administration with the collapse of the stock market in the U.S. economy, which led to the rise of Obama and really the huge stepping stone of Obamaism to the socialism of Bernie Sanders today. But the prosecution, not just the decision to go to war in two countries, as well as the anti-terrorism operations, clandestine and otherwise, all over the world during the Bush administration, but the prosecution of those wars. The coalition provisional authority was a mess under the Bush administration. I know something about this, having worked in the CIA's Iraq desk. A mess. Inexcusable. Inexcusable malfeasance. Inexcusable stupidity. OK, so I don't just show up and say everything that's happening under Republican is great. Everything that happens under Democrat is bad. I cheered for Obama when the uh, bin Laden raid happened. Thank you, Commander in Chief. Thank you for making the right call. We call it like it is here. And I'm just telling you this because as a call it like it is guy, this presidency is reaching a point where I am running out of superlatives. He has been through unprecedented, not just obstruction, ambush efforts, political media orchestrated ambush efforts to tear down this presidency, the deep state, people from within the federal government who are ideologues pretending that they have the best interests of the country at heart, weaponizing the very executive branch that President Trump is to lead, weaponizing that branch against him, putting him through a two year plus long special counsel investigation during which people were openly rooting for the removal and prosecution of the president and the incarceration, if they could, of his children. And that failed. And on top of that, they went through an impeachment proceeding that we now see and is about to be defeated, but was an utter farce, a bad faith, sore loser, crybaby lib effort 
to, if not end a presidency, to hobble it going into re-election. That was, that was the plan. And with all of that, unprecedented, I mean, yeah, they called Bush a war criminal. They wanted to prosecute Cheney. They set a special counsel off at the White House. Notice, Obama, no special counsels. Eric Holder wasn't going to let that happen. Loretta Lynch wasn't going to let that happen. No special counsels. Republicans are always, we always have the, the Romneys among us. Oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll look more fair to the other side if we let them weaponize the process against us like a bunch of idiots. Trump says no. No more bending the knee. No more letting the other side win as a show of good faith. And last night was the most impressive speech I have seen a president give on the State of the Union in terms of results. In my entire life, I can't remember Reagan speeches. I was too young. But for one that I for a speech that I saw in real time, you know, Bush became a wartime president, rallied the rallied the American people behind him as commander in chief. I can tell you I saw in his eyes. Bush loved our military with all his heart. He was a good man. But he didn't produce the results that we've seen with this presidency so far. Not even going to get into the Obama administration because President Trump did quite a bit of that last night. I remember when we were being told, I remember when the storyline from the national media was, man, we're just heading into a period where we have to accept not that much growth in the economy as the new normal. You know, our, our best days are pretty much behind us. Future generations will be less wealthy than their parents were. And we're just going to keep spending and spending and spending and nothing is ever going to to get better or turn around. Uh, just get used to it. Get used to economic mediocrity, America. You're not so great after all. That was the message from the news media during the Obama presidency to cover for an Obama administration that thinks that harassing businesses with endless regulation, with overly burdensome taxes, with a constantly changing environment of policy that will sometimes just forget about how business is actually conducted and come up with stuff you'd see in the faculty lounge. Yeah, you know, let's get the Green New Deal effect going here. I mean, this was th that's a a new version of the same old plan that Obama was trying with putting in place cap and trade and putting in place all these different EPA regulations. This is what they do. They harm businesses. They make your life harder and they do it for reasons that are based in really fairy tales. The world is not melting. We're not all going to die because of climate change. I promise you, I'll give you my word. I'm right on this one. I'm certain about this. Democrats seem to believe otherwise, deeply. They become enraged when you disagree with them on this point. Well, think about what an advantage it is to have the leader of this country, President Trump, not be delusional about how the world's going to come to an end unless we take economic advice from AOC, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. In a sense, we are shocked because the results of this presidency as laid out for the American people last night to hear that the results are so positive, that we could have a presidency where when, when I ask the question, I keep asking, what has Trump done that is so terrible? What is the huge error that Trump has made? I get whining about tweets and misrepresentations of uh, one line here or there in a speech that he gave. And they're misrepresentations, by the way, always. That's I'm supposed to want to get rid of all this other stuff. I mean, the jobs report that's coming out today, all of the things that are making Americans lives better. I thought it was so interesting. You saw last night some of the, you know, the usual suspects on the left. Oh, the president's he's pandering to minorities. 
No, I'm sorry. When the president of the United States is reaching out to people, reaching out to people like that American hero who is a, who is a member of the Tuskegee Airmen and is 100 years old, every Republican in America saw that and thought to himself, God bless that man, and their chests swelled with pride. That was an, that was an absolutely heartfelt shout-out from the president of the United States to someone that I, I promise you that president, our president respects to his core. Same with the other people that he was bringing into the conversation last night. Americans who have stories that we need to hear. Don't let them take from you this very simple fact, because they will try. The establishment, the entirety of the American left, the political media, overwhelmingly and almost uh, without exception when you're adding in the major corporate media, the only exception really is Fox News. They were all against Trump, and they told you that you were a fool. You were a fool for supporting him. Maybe if you read more books and had more maps and knew more geography, you would have known better, they sneer, than to vote for Trump. But you're going to have to live with the consequences. Ha, ha. That was their attitude for years. And last night was a marker for all the rest of us, a marker that... Guess what? We have been living under President Trump for three years, and it has been pretty darn fantastic. And the people that challenged the establishment, that thought the experts were too full of themselves and too worried about their own positions, whether it's in politics, the media, academia, law, you name it. Those who sneer at Trump and make fun of him and say that his hair is weird and say that his skin is orange. What are they saying now when I can sit here and tell you based on facts and reason and reality, that President Trump is the most effective, most talented president of the United States in my adult lifetime. What do they say to you now? It doesn't really matter. You know the truth, and that's what matters. Don't wait for an apology from them. It's not going to come. Because the better things get, the more desperate they are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Every day, America's men and women in uniform demonstrate the infinite depth of love that dwells in the human heart. One of these American heroes was Army Staff Sergeant Christopher Hake. On his second deployment to Iraq in 2008, Sergeant Hake wrote a letter to his one-year-old son, Gage. I will be with you again, he wrote to Gage. I will teach you to ride your first bike, build your first sandbox, watch you play sports, and see you have kids also. I love you, son. Take care of your mother. I am always with you, Daddy. On Easter Sunday of 2008, Chris was out on patrol in Baghdad when his Bradley fighting vehicle was hit by a roadside bomb. That night, he made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Sergeant Hake now rests in eternal glory in Arlington, and his wife, Kelly, is in the gallery tonight, joined by their son, who is now a 13-year-old and doing very, very well. To Kelly and Gage, Chris will live in our hearts forever. He is looking down on you now. Thank you. One of many moments that connected and that will be remembered from that State of the Union address last night. 2008, I was on the Iraq desk. I was in Baghdad for a while in 2008. 
I remember what was going on. I remember the efforts to come up with some countermeasures, do anything we could. Intelligence community, CIA, military, JSOC, you name it, everybody finding a way to stop these EFPs, explosively formed penetrators, from puncturing the holes of vehicles like a Bradley fighting vehicle and killing our soldiers, maiming many others. You know who's behind that whole process? You know who was making sure that the machinery to, to mill the EFPs was running at full speed and that they were infiltrating as many of them into Iraq or building as many of them inside of Iraq as they possibly could from across the border in Iran? Qasem Soleimani. Now, until very recently, Qasem Soleimani got to walk around taking selfies on a battlefield, you know, just big, big, tough guy, untouchable. Oh, America's the biggest, strongest military in the world? Well, he had killed hundreds of American soldiers on his order, operations conducted specifically targeting our people. Targeting our people who are in a who are in a foreign country trying to stabilize it after ousting a tyrant, whatever you may think of of the Iraq war. That's why we were there in 2008, trying to get the lights on, trying to get elections going. We wanted out. We wanted to leave. We wanted to help the Iraqi people. But Qasem Soleimani in Iran thought that it would give the Iranians more strategic depth in, in, in Iraq if they could bleed us more, kill more of our people. And we knew that he was behind this and he was jeering at us for years. But, oh, it couldn't couldn't do anything about him. Couldn't do anything. You know, he, he made that that wonderful woman uh, last night, the State of the Union, a widow, took away the son, uh, took away the father of that young son. And then Trump came along and said, not anymore. And now Qasem Soleimani's done. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. A better tomorrow for all Americans also requires us to keep America safe. That means supporting the men and women of law enforcement at every level, including our nation's heroic ICE officers. Last year, our brave ICE officers arrested more than 120,000 criminal aliens charged with nearly 10,000 burglaries, 5,000 sexual assaults, 45,000 violent assaults, and 2,000 murders. Tragically, there are many cities in America where radical politicians have chosen to provide sanctuary for these criminal illegal aliens. It wasn't all flowers, unicorns, rainbows, and clear skies in the speech last night from Trump, and it shouldn't have been. There were some partisan moments. Not nearly as partisan as they could have been, considering that the president, think about this, he gave this State of the Union speech last night. Nancy Pelosi invited him to address the Congress. Didn't have to do that, of course, but she did it. Uh, gave this State of the Union address in the midst of efforts to impeach him because there are people who are prominent voices in the Democrat Party who say the president is a criminal and a traitor. That's what they say. Repeatedly. They still make the claim today. This president's a criminal and a traitor. These people are truly shameless, meaning they are incapable of shame. Adam Schiff is incapable of shame. He's a frightening fellow. Schiff reminds me very much of the psychological profiles that I've read through the correspondence and the personal letters of those who were on the Committee of Public Safety during the French Revolution. They were mostly lawyers, 
lawyers who really just believed in the maximum power of the state and the the cause that they were pushing was so righteous that the fact that they were sending men, women, old people, young people to be guillotined was the price they were willing, their price they were willing to make others pay. Just a bunch of middling statist and in fact really the origins of Marxism in many ways stretch back to the French Revolution, a conversation that we'll have to continue another time, as I've discussed with you. It was not a mirror image of our own revolution, just happened to be people speaking French. Very different, very different in its purposes, very different in its execution, and obviously in its aftermath. But Schiff is a frightening fellow. Nadler is a frightening fellow. These are people who have no integrity, no decency, no honesty, and they are raised as the exemplars of resistance within the Democrat party. It's it's a disgusting thing to see. But Trump gives the speech and he mentions, for example, if we're going to start to separate out how are Republicans different from Democrats, Trump is giving a a shout out here to our ICE officers. Remember, the Democrat talking point on ICE over the last few years is abolish it. Abolish ICE. They should all all those people should be fired. All of them should lose their jobs. Nobody should be doing what they do, which is enforcing federal law. Keep in mind, Democrats don't have the courage of their convictions when it comes to the enforcement of immigration law or the removal of all immigration laws. They, they like the, the moralizing and the grandstanding of being for de facto open borders. But they will never actually go forward and say, well, let's pass legislation to make it open borders. No, they just hide behind the inefficiencies of the bureaucracy, prosecutorial discretion used in place of honest legislation. Legislation that would show the American people that the Democrat Party is in favor of open borders because they no longer can mount an argument for anyone to be deported. Whenever they start saying, okay, this class of illegal alien, and by the way, I saw some networks last night using undocumented, no, some of, some of the people that I like, don't let that slip in. That's, that's a propaganda term. When they amend the federal code to say undocumented immigrant, I will start to say undocumented immigrant. It is illegal alien. That is the federal statutory definition of a person in the country without legal permission to do so. But the Democrats can't say, sure, we want people who commit crimes in excess of the following to automatically illegal aliens in that category be deported. No, because then that would mean that they would actually have to follow through on that. Right. Or we would see that they're just full of it. So instead, it's always, oh, but it's case by case and resources and all this other blather. And for those of you who are wondering why the Obama administration was willing to deport hundreds of thousands of people as it did, it was because they had to keep some semblance of credibility of border enforcement going while there were still large numbers of illegals coming into the country. Half a million visa overstays on average a year under the Obama administration. Most people who overstay their visas are planning to stay a long time. It's not usually don't stay, you know, an an extra 20 days or something because then you can't come back to the country legally for a long time. But the Obama administration was trying to get a grand bargain going to create the groundswell for mass amnesty. That's what that was. And there were Republicans wanting to go along with it. Gang of eight. You remember that. That was what they were trying for. Trump comes out last night and says, thank you to our ICE officers for actually enforcing the law. And then he read off statistics. Again, the numbers with this president are what are are, are the most powerful arguments for his reelection. The numbers for this president are what you can point to 
in every respect, in everything that we can measure and say, okay, he's earned four more years. 45,000 violent assaults, 2,000 murders. 2,000 murders last year, he says. You had 2,000 murders where illegal aliens were charged. That's a lot. That's a lot of dead people, a lot of dead Americans resulting from the unwillingness of Democrats and states and localities across the country, including the one I'm currently in, New York City, to respect the laws of this nation. They declare themselves sanctuary cities. They are abetting, they're aiding and abetting lawlessness. Trump draws quite a distinction with that last night, doesn't he? Um, He also raised the issue of school choice in a way that I think was quite memorable. Bruce and Mark, would you play clip 19? But you know, I have some good news for you because I am pleased to inform you that your long wait is over. I can proudly announce tonight that an opportunity scholarship has become available, is going to you, and you will soon be heading to the school of your choice. Now I call on Congress to give one million American children the same opportunity Janiah has just received. Pass the Education Freedom Scholarships and Opportunities Act because no parent should be forced to send their child to a failing government school. What could be more straightforward than that? Shouldn't a parent have the choice about where to send his or her their uh, child? Shouldn't that be something that's open to, to people who want something better for their kid? This is one of the great areas of hypocrisy on the left, and this is uh, Republicans need to hit this hard. Trump was certainly doing some outreach to minority voters last night. And I can tell you this, this president is so proud. You can tell he's not good at hiding his emotions. He's so proud of what's going on with this president, with, with this administration with regard to unemployment and specifically the very low unemployment rate for black and Hispanic, black and Latino Americans. He's proud of what the administration has been doing with regard to that by making it easier for uh, black and brown Americans to succeed, to chase their American dream. The president wants that for them. The left loves to pretend that, oh, he doesn't like, he doesn't like people who aren't white. They always are racist. They say all these horrible things. It's a lie. It's a lie. But part of helping all communities across the country. A lot of poor, a lot of poor white people stuck in very bad schools, particularly in rural areas of the country as well. But to help all young people have a shot at getting a decent education. And Democrats stand in front of this. They stand to thwart this. They absolutely hate this. They hate it. Why? Well, on the one hand, it exposes the the ossified Marxism that is their underlying ideology, right, which is that, you know, the, the, the state should be in control. We're going to take a lot of your money. What are most people, the, the biggest expenditure in a lot of places for property taxes is paying for the local, uh, paying for local schools. And so the state is always redistributing funds so that they can set up these schools. In some places, there are good public schools. I get that. There are public schools that, you know, have multiple Olympic-sized swimming pools and everything's amazing and everyone's walking around drinking cappuccinos, and I get it. But there are a lot of public schools that aren't good. And 
what's so amazing to me is that the opposition to charter schools relies on really a, a, a lie, which is that charter schools take away from public schools. No, charter schools are public. They're just funded with public money, but they're trying something new. They're allowing at least the market mechanism within the funding that is given to the public school system. They're allowing the market me mechanism of choice to function. This place is working. This place is doing good things. This other place is doing bad things. I want to go to the good school. Republicans need to be hammering this all the time because you know what? The, the real problem with Democrats is that ideologically they don't like they, they don't like anything that is negative on public schools because public schools are really a, a training ground in their mind for the statists of the future. You know that they're they're indoctrinating kids. There's no question about that. But even beyond that, there's power politics at play here. They need those teachers union donations. They need to make sure the teachers union is a vast machinery for the reelection of Democrats who always talk about how it's for the children when it comes to our schools and the children are their last consideration on the list. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Many experts believe that transparency, which will go into full effect at the beginning of next year, will be even bigger than health care reform. It will save families massive amounts of money for substantially better care. But as we work to improve Americans' health care, there are those who want to take away your health care, take away your doctor, and abolish private insurance entirely. 132 lawmakers in this room have endorsed legislation to impose a socialist takeover of our health care system, wiping out the private health insurance plans of 180 million very happy Americans. To those watching at home tonight, I want you to know we will never let socialism destroy American health care. Powerful stuff from the president on this because it's true. The Democrat left now, the socialist Democrats, which increasingly are just synonymous with Democrats, they do want a takeover of the health care system and they want to negate the mechanisms that are in place that make our health care system better. They want to make sure that the market isn't what determines the, the cures and the treatments of the future. And it's, it's amazing to me. Every Democrat I talk to about this, they get so into the moralizing about, oh, but everybody needs to have health care. Uh, we cover almost the almost the whole country is already covered in some way. If you're if you are of low income, then you can get Medicaid. And if you and people say, oh, but Medicaid is not as good as Medicare. Well, why? Why is that, folks? Why not just every why not just give everybody access to everything if it doesn't really matter? Right? Why do people who have Medicare have to pay co-pays? Why does Medicare not cover everything? Because there are costs involved here. Doctors have costs too. Doctors have offices that they have to pay for. They have a staff, they have bills to pay themselves and mortgages and medical school debt. We can either have a market system or we can have a government system. As it is because of government regulation, because of the lack of transparency over things like prices. I mean, how many of you have been? I've gone through this process. As I said, I have had gold-plated, amazing health care. I've had absolutely crap private health care. And I've had no health care and gotten really sick and had to deal with that. 
which is scary. That's not fun. I got really badly injured. I had no health insurance. Start run, start running up credit card debt very fast. So I, I've been on all sides of this. I've seen what it's like from different perspectives. And let me tell you something. If you think it's annoying right now, filling out the paperwork, waiting in the office, going to see the doctor, just imagine when the people that you're seeing, the doctors that are going to be showing up, they get paid the same either way. I mean, my experience, I can't speak for all of you, my experience with healthcare already is the places where I go, and I try to do this as much as I can. I know this is, I, I am fortunate, but I also save money specifically. I have a little set aside of money that I use just for medical expenses as I need them. You go to a doctor and, and they know you're swiping a credit card, all of a sudden you, you know, you don't have wait times. And all of a sudden the doctor, you know, is following up. You go to a doctor and you're hoping that your your HMO is going to accept the, the plan and the paperwork, whatever. You know, you sit there, you wait, you wait, you wait. Maybe you wait two, three hours every day. You miss meetings at work. You, you know, you got to worry about who's going to pick the kids up from school, whatever it may be. You're not even really sure what it's going to cost you at the end of the day. I was told that I was going to have a surgery at one point, and I had insurance at the time. It was bad insurance, though, that my car, my personal cost would be somewhere, I'm not kidding, between four dollars and $40,000. I mean, you know, I don't know what producer Mark's dream car is, but if he walked into the Maserati store and they said, this is going to cost you between five dollars and $120,000, I'm not sure he would sign on the dotted line until they told him what the price was. Same thing with me. I was like, I'm not, I'm, I can't, I don't have, I didn't have $40,000. I didn't really have $4,000. So why is that our system? People, people act like that's the, the failure of the market. No, this is wrong. This is the failure of the redistributive mechanisms of regulatory infringement on the market by the government. Because nobody really wants to know what anything costs because everyone wants to be able to promise things to people that other people will pay for. That's why they're enemies of transparency. Transparency is the precursor to truth. You can't get to the truth if you can't see what's going on. So when Trump is out there last night talking at the State of the Union address about how we need, we need to know what procedures cost, you got to start telling people what procedures cost. You know what you'd find out? Wow, there are some places where I'm getting completely ripped off, and there are other places where they're trying to be more efficient and trying to do this better and give better service. Like everything else that you're used to in your day-to-day -day life that is market-based. You know, there, there's a lot of money going into the system right now, but there's a lot of money that's wasted, a lot of money that is misallocated in our healthcare system. And we're, we're going to put the people who still have not been able to figure out what the vote count was in Iowa for the caucuses. Still, we're, I think they've got 70% reporting right now as I go on air. It's been, what, 48 hours now? I mean, how, how long are we going here, folks? Still can't do that, but they want to be in charge of telling you who your cancer doctor is going to be, who your heart surgeon is going to be, who your, you name it. They'll, they'll make great choices for you, and you'll be really happy with the outcomes. Only the ignorant or the dishonest could believe this. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think the, the last 24 hours have been a big wake-up call for Democrats. That's what I think. Um, the Iowa caucus was a debacle. Uh, and this was a very strong speech. What have I told you before, team? I call it like it is. Balls and strikes. Truth always first here in the Freedom Hut. And here you had Van Jones. I've told you before, Van is, he is a, a smart 
political analyst. He's a leftist. I disagree with him, but but he is astute and he knows when his team is losing and things are happening and he'll speak truth to his own side sometimes. And you hear his tone, you hear what he's saying. Forget about, you know, there's there's the the idiot brigades on the left. Forget about them. You got to know who the who the intelligent leftists are because they will sometimes be the ones that give you the sign of what's really going on with their team. And Van Van falls into that category. I say he's he's a as a political pundit, he's a worthy a worthy adversary, right? Anna Navarro's a moron. I mean, it depends. You know, I'm, I'm honest with you guys. I tell you the truth about this stuff. And you know, Van is giving voice here to what is really overtaking Democrats this week. Trump is having one of his best weeks in memory. The numbers, the reality. I mean, we've got this acquittal coming up here. As I go to air right now, it has not. The vote has not yet occurred. I, I know I saw Doug Jones is going to vote to. Uh, he's he's going to vote to convict the president. By the way, if you can, if you vote to convict the president on both counts, you don't get to pretend that you're anything but a partisan, she, you know, partisan sheep. Nonsense. If you vote to convict the president on abuse of power, and, but not, uh, but not obstruction, uh, you're you're not a complete buffoon. In the sense that you're doing it because your party wants you to. But the obstruction of Congress charge, no serious human being thinks that that's a legitimate charge. It doesn't exist. There's no, there's no real argument for the obstruction of Congress. He, he wants to go to the courts. That's not obstruction. It's, it's, just, it's just not. This would be like impeaching the president for pardoning somebody. Oh, can't use that pardon power. Says who? Who? Polls? Who's polls? Gosh, whatever happened to Michael Cohen? But I think he's in prison, actually. We do know what happened. So the Democrats are reeling right now. They threw everything they had at Trump. They put us through the most boring. By the way, it was so poorly designed in so many ways. They put us through this incredibly boring impeachment nonsense. They kept changing the initial storyline. So if you're watching this, you know what's going on all along. That's why I'm so that's why Romney Romney's a smart enough guy that he knows that they, they've been trying to impeach the president since the beginning, since when he took office. This was all a pretext. It was all cobbled together. It's a facade. It's a fake. It's a phony. We know this. We know this. But nonetheless, here we are. The president about to be acquitted by the Senate. They're going to claim that it's not an acquittal because they live in a parallel universe. They live in an alternate reality. The Democrats who have tried to tell everybody how terrible Trump is increasingly not only look shrill and hysterical, but delusional. They look like they have psychologically separated themselves from the reality around them. What are they going to say? Is there, there, I hear people try this. The economy is not that good for everyone. I, you know, I'm sorry. The, the economy is not like an eight-year-old's birthday party where everybody gets a cupcake. I mean, yeah, sure. People still lose their jobs. People still struggle financially. I've got financial stresses. Producer Mark's got financial stresses. I'm pretty sure all of you listening in one way or another, large and small, have financial stresses. Of course, the economy doesn't work for you. This is one of the, one of the bizarre lines. You're supposed to be able to work in the economy. But you see that... That shift in focus is very central to the ideology the Democrats bring to all of this, which is that the economy, that, that the government directing the economy is to do things for you. Meanwhile, the rest of us who understand how markets work and understand what will really create prosperity want individuals to be able 
to pursue their personal professional destiny without undue influence and dictation from the state. That's that's where this is at, at the center of the very argument. We want to be able to work within the economy without constraints. They want the economy. They want to promise you that the economy is going to do something for you. This is nonsense. But they don't really have any compelling pitch right now. And they know it. Special counsel, nothing done to the president. Impeachment, nothing really done to the president. I mean, they can say he's impeached. We'll say he's acquitted. Big whoop. Doesn't change a thing. And to independence, this has been a loser. The strategic genius of Nancy Pelosi, I have to say, has been, I think this has been forever called into question. I think this has been something that now we have to be very honest about when we see it and say to ourselves, hold on a minute. How is this a win for Pelosi in any way, shape or form? You know, they could have just gone with a censure vote in the House. That was an option. They could have censured the president, had a talking point all the way through, said, oh, you know, and, and then claimed that they have the high ground, the moral, ethical, institutional high ground. Oh, we, we could have impeached the president, but we didn't because we know there's an election coming up and we, the Democratic Party, are not completely insane. Instead, they're like, we're completely insane. Let's impeach him. Let's go for it. And now they have to deal with the consequences of that. Now they bear the brunt of that reality, the reality they have forced on themselves. They turn around, they look at us, and they say, what exactly? Nancy Pelosi, right after the speech last night, in a, a pitiful and pathetic gesture, tore up the paper that the State of Union address was, was printed on. Uh, as I said last night when it happened, oh, is she tearing up the Constitution? Because that would make sense. She's already done plenty of that. But Nancy Pelosi has to go with these childish gestures of resistance because they've already thrown everything they have at this president. And not only does he endure, he succeeds despite all of this. This is why having someone who is a fighter and who is resilient and who will not back down is it's almost like a magic power. It's it, tr Trump has been able to endure and go through things that other human beings I really don't believe would have been able to handle in this job. The lies told about him, the hatred spewed at him, the scorn heaped upon his family members, all of it, everything. The pressure that the Democrats have brought, they, they've thrown everything they have at them. They've thrown the full wave. They've gone over the top, running across no man's land and then trying to just take the trench with everything they've got. And Trump keeps on pushing them back. Not on his watch. It's remarkable to it's remarkable to see this happening. It really is. And it's uh, it's amazing how weak how weak the Democrats really are in their opposition to this. Well, what can they really offer up at this point? What do they really have to tell us that's worthwhile? Um, and then there's the the bitterness, the vile nasty hatred that comes out. Um, well, that's what you see, for example, with an, an analyst from, uh, from where, where, where this was on MSNBC, when Rush Limbaugh received, well, actually, no, hold on a second. Do we have, do we have Rush receiving the award? That would be, well, no. Well, I'll talk about that in a moment. But this, this is the kind of stuff that gets said by Democrats in the media about the State of the Union address last night. Play clip eight here. 
I think that the part of the speech that you should be concentrating on is probably when he gave that presidential medal of freedom to Rush Limbaugh, because I think in that moment it encapsulated both the cultural issues and the the issues of President Trump kind of turning this into a reality TV show. So it was a made-for-TV moment. Rush Limbaugh was acting like he was surprised, when of course Rush Limbaugh was the main person or one of the main voices who was saying that Barack Obama wasn't born in this country, which was really a racist conspiracy theory. So I think you have the president bestowing this award that Rosa Parks has won, um, that, that so many other great Americans have won, that is really a polarizing thing. Of course, Republicans were cheering. Rush Limbaugh recently said that he had lung cancer. There are a lot of people in the Republican Party who love Rush Limbaugh. But for Democrats and a lot of people, independents and African-Americans, he's just seen as someone who is the face of racism, frankly. Rush Limbaugh is an icon. He's a personal hero of mine. He's never met me, and yet he changed my life. I'm sure for many of you listening in different ways, he's also changed your life, changed your perspective to be sure. He actually changed my professional life just by creating the world that he did and then allowing me the greatest single honor of my career to date to sit in for the man himself on the EIB. Rush has done so much good for so many people and been such an important and honest voice. And the man has stage four lung cancer and he's receiving the Uh, the highest honor a civilian can receive. And it was a beautiful moment last night, and Democrats even want to trash that. I'll be honest, there are a few moments last night where I I got a little, and I'm not somebody who gets emotional at all watching State of the Union addresses, but looking at Rush and having that surprise of the the First Lady Melania Trump giving him the, uh, the Medal of Freedom and... It was it was something that I think a lot of us will remember for a very long time. And it, it, he's a man who, look, he's been as successful as any human being can be in media, or really in, in any industry, in any job. He's been among the most influential people in the United States for decades. And from everybody that I know who knows him is an incredibly loyal and decent and honorable and charitable guy. Just. You know, I, I saw uh, Mr. Snurdly last night, even on Twitter, just batting down these accusations. If, if you don't know this, uh, Mr. Snurdly uh, is is black. Uh, Mr. Snurdly, who's been with him for over 30 years, who I've gotten to know and has been someone who's mentored my work and been a really important voice for me to become the radio host that I am today. But Mr. Snurdly is just saying, you know, give me one. He, he even challenged Acosta publicly, Jim Acosta, who's a moron. It's not just that I disagree. Then Jim Acosta is just not very smart. Okay, Jim Acosta is a glorified actor doing the bidding of Zucker and Co. over at CNN. But Mr. Snurdly, known to some of us as James, we actually share the first, same first name. Mr. Snurdly uh, calls him out and says, "Show me, show me what Rush Limbaugh has said that's racist. Where is Rush Limbaugh a racist?" But they they can't even they can't even let a man who is now battling cancer have a moment a well-deserved moment in the sun without trying to tear it down. I bring this up not just because obviously you know how I feel about Rush and what he stands for, but also because it was a real window into the soul of the Democratic Party. The decrepit, angry, vengeful soul of a party that has gone so crazy with identity politics, with the various isms, with demeaning other people as bad people, not just as people who disagree with them, but they must be bad because they disagree. 
that they don't even know how they look to, to normal Americans, to everyday people when they say these kinds of things. No decency, no honor, just trashing people because they represent the other side. They represent uh, a different point of view. Perhaps most of all, they represent a challenge to the power the left is so desperate for all the time. Rush was more than just a challenge. Rush was a, a victor in many, many, many battles, public battles with the left. They'll never let him forget that. They'll never forgive him for it. But we will honor him for it forever. And that medal that he received last night was richly deserved. And it was a, it was a proud moment for all of us seeing the big guy get that kind of a shout out from Trump himself. Oh, and by the way, Rush is going to beat this thing. He's going to win this thing, too. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. A bit of a housekeeping team that I had meant to get to earlier in the show, but I was so fired up about what's going on around the country and uh, all, the, all the big stories that I, I left this out. Got a pretty big announcement to share with all of you. Uh, as you know, we are now on 160 affiliate radio stations in total across the country. Uh, 160 affiliates. We have a, a podcast that is pretty routinely in the top 100 for politics in the uh, iHeartRadio app and the iTunes store. Uh, so we're we're growing all the time, and it's because of you. It's because people believe in what I do. Many of you have been with me now for years, and you tell people about the show. The single most important thing, well, the two things you can do that really help us if you want to help are please uh, check out our wonderful sponsors. We have relationships with all the sponsors on the show. They're believers in the show. They matter to us. A lot of them have CEOs that will hop on the phone with me to talk about different products and campaigns and ways that we're trying to serve this audience as best we can, and then also telling people about The Buck Sexton Show. Because it, just think of it this way. If, if every person listening to this right now just got one, if every person listening to this just on podcast, on demand, got one person to listen to The Buck Sexton Show, we would be probably in the top 20, 20 podcasts, period, uh, in, in politics. So... That's how quickly that can change and how much the show can grow. If, if people listening to this, just get one person in your life, one friend of yours listening to the podcasting, or obviously on a near affiliate station, spread the word to people you know who are talk, who are, you know, talk radio junkies, like, like talk radio, like listening on our affiliate stations. That's another great way to do it. I bring all that up, though, because I get to announce today that there will be an addition to the Buck Sexton Show, and uh, it's a big one. We are going to be taking the Buck Sexton Show live Monday through Friday, starting next week. So starting on this coming Monday, uh, we will be on WOR. That's 710 AM in New York City. That's right, the Big Apple, WOR, the biggest talk radio station in the country and the biggest media market in the country. We will now be in drive time for an hour, 6 to 7 p.m., WOR, Monday through Friday. Um, the just so you know, some of you are probably going to be asking, well, hold on a second, Buck, does that mean it doesn't change anything? For those of you who are listening right now, it doesn't change a thing. We're going to be doing an additional hour every day of show. That'll be a bit more New York focused. So those of you in the New York area, you'll be getting a kind of special fix because I'm really going to do, we'll do some of the national big time stories, of course, but we'll also do a little more of that localized 
New York area, those of you who live in New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, who want to listen to what's going on in, in your world specifically, as well as across the country, uh, WOR this Monday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, you can listen. You can also always listen on the iHeartRadio app if you want to, if you're for some reason you're not in, in uh, radio reach of the very powerful WOR signal, you can listen on the iHeartRadio app and I'll be on uh, for an additional, like I said, an hour doing that show. And, it, and that show is going to be live. It's going to be live from New York City, 6 to 7 p.m. every day. And the first few months, by the way, when you have something like this, when you get put on a new station like this that's so big, a heritage radio station with a massive audience, which is what WOR has, a massive audience. I mean, we're talking sports stadiums full of people kind of audience. I mean, it's huge. Um, but every single listener counts, especially because the people that are putting me on here, they're uh, they're they're putting a bet on me. They're they're putting a bet that Buck is the next, the next something or other, the next thing in radio, um, and that means that all of you who can spread the word, listen. If you're in the New York area, please tune in. And remember, you listen to this show. This is a this is a different show. I'm doing an additional. I'll be doing four hours of radio every day starting on Monday. You may see a little less of me on Fox News. Hopefully, I'll still be able to get to Tucker's show sometimes and a few others. But I'm really going all in on the radio side uh, for this election year, and we're going to do great things. And that's going to be a really fun show, and I'm very thankful to the uh, staff at WOR, um, the program director, everybody over there who's willing to put me on 6 to 7. We are going to we're going to light up that hour of drive time and big things are coming. So it's a good day for the Buck Sexton show, my friends. We're just adding. We're just growing. WOR starting this Monday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Tune in. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your reaction, sir, to Mayor Buttigieg last night? I don't know how anybody declares victory before you have an official statement as to election results. So we're not declaring victory. Uh, But what we are saying is that at a time when the people of Iowa and the people of America really want to know what the result is, when they want to see some transparency, and when the Iowa Democratic Party is not providing that in a timely manner, we thought it was appropriate just uh, to give the results that uh, have come in. Party's upset, and I understand why. Seems a little bit weird that, you know, you got people that he's got the most votes, but he doesn't have the most delegates as of now as I go on air. I got to ask, you know, when when does Bernie get to finally say enough is enough? I mean, Bernie is a socialist who would destroy America as much as he could if he's president. He has good intentions, but the path to hell is paved with them, as you know, especially socialist good intentions. But at least the guy, you know, should get a fair shake among the Democratic Party, right? I I think if we're going to believe we have a system and there are rules, shouldn't those rules apply on the Democrat side, too? I mean, some of you are probably saying, oh, it's just too much fun to watch the intramural warfare among Democrats here over what should be allowed. And, uh, you know, it really, you have to wonder, when is it too much? They they stacked the deck against him. That was really all, by the way, the WikiLeaks release, if you remember, from 2016. The only thing that really stuck with people was the efforts from the DNC establishment and some people in the media very tied to the Clintons who were effectively saying, um, hey, uh, we want Hillary to win. <laughs> How do we make that happen? That didn't didn't really look so good. Didn't look so good. Uh, it looked like there like the fix was in. That's to be sure. Um, 
but Bernie is either going to be the number one or number two coming out of, coming out of Iowa. And then there's Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who this was a make or break for him if he's going to be a serious candidate. Uh, but they're calling him Mayor Mayor Cheat now on Twitter. I saw that. Mayor Cheat Buttigieg, uh, because they're saying he cheated by claiming victory before they even had any results just based on internal polling. I, I agree. That's a We made fun of this a little bit yesterday. That's a bold move. You know, He didn't say he was victorious. He's like, looks like we're going to be victorious. Whoa. That's that's something that you can't really forget. And just the sheer ineptitude of the Iowa Democratic Party. I mean, they've been having a caucus system in place, I think, since the 1970s in Iowa. Uh, how complicated? can? Let's ask the question. How complicated can this really be? You're tabulating votes. I mean, if they were doing this with a notepad, if they had little, you know, like those little books that reporters write in that are usually like moleskin or whatever, you know. Uh, if they were writing on those, you'd figure that they could tell us by now what the t- total results are. And they keep saying they're not even sure. I mean, as I go on air right now, they're not even sure when the final results will be in. If you are Mayor Pete, by the way, and you won this thing fair and square, and this reporting delay effectively stole the most powerful news cycle of your campaign from you, I would be pretty, ups- I'd be pretty annoyed about that. I don't know how you really fix that. And it's kind of funny that Democrats have been warning us all along about the threat to our elections, and they've been saying that that threat comes from the Russians, comes from Ukraine, comes from Trump. Turns out that the greatest threat to election integrity is, in fact, the Democrats themselves. As we see from what's happening in Iowa right now. So the the left has sprung into action here, trying to find ways to explain this to their own people, trying to trying to claim that there's something going on here that doesn't show us what we know it is showing us, which is that the uh, Democrat Party of Iowa has been in a complete, complete disarray here. This is a giant face plant in the cement. This is a bad, bad move for them. MSNBC, though, always can come up with a way to make this about something else. Here is one of their analysts uh, telling you what's really going on with the Iowa caucuses. Play five, please. The Iowa caucus is essentially the perfect example of systemic racism. 91% of the voters in Iowa are white. The reason why you see a drop in turnout, I'm just speculating here, it could be perhaps that white children are not in the cages. So when you're talking about the tangible pain that black and brown people are feeling, they feel a sense of urgency because their kids are being put in cages, right? What? First of all, no, no one has been, you know, they've changed the policy. They don't separate families in the border. Uh, that's and which is just a standard practice in law enforcement, by the way. When you get arrested, which is what happens when you cross the country illegally, you don't keep your kids with you in a cell. That's but that's not even that's not happening anymore. There's been a concession made here, even though people are breaking the law by coming into the country illegally. So no one's kids are being put in cages anymore. Um, what exactly does that have to do with Iowa? That people aren't notice how you can you can approach any political question if you're on the left with a preconceived notion of what you want to talk about. And if it's an ism, if you're going to talk about racism or sexism, you can just say that that's the cause of whatever the situation is that you're called upon to analyze. Why was turnout kind of low in Iowa? Oh, it's because white people who are Democrats are not motivated enough to vote because this is what this MSNBC analyst is telling you on TV. Because their children are not in cages. Keep in mind, no one's children are in cages being put in detention separate from their parents at the border anymore. That's what really happens, which also happened in the Obama administration, but no one's ever allowed to talk about that. Uh, 
but that's the reason? Iowa is systemic racism? Is the state of Iowa just a racist state? This would be news to a lot of Iowans. How do you even argue with this? How, how do you even set this straight? Um, it's mind-boggling. And yet, yet here we are being told that that's the reason for problems in Iowa or that's that's what we should take from the situation in Iowa. Pretty stunning stuff. By the way, as someone who's spent far too much time around super, uh, super liberal white people, uh, I don't think there's anybody who hates Trump more and feels more urgency about getting him out of office than your typical smug elitist white liberal. I mean, I, I think that they despise Trump as much, if not more, than anyone. And they're the ones often that are screaming about kids in cages. I, I had the former governor of Michigan on the Bill Maher show shouting into my face, kids in cages, kids in cages, as if that was an argument. I was trying to talk about health care for illegals. But, you know, she, she clearly felt moved to make a make a fool of herself by yelling a talking point that had nothing to do with the conversation we were having. But, you know, she's a she's a white liberal. She's not motivated. I just where does this analysis does, does anyone ever challenge some of this for just being so flimsy, so lacking any reason, any intellectual depth? The analysis you're hearing on these different cable news channels, I, I guess I guess not. Oh, here we go. We got uh, speaking of which uh, Jim Acosta. He's still running around. I, I, you know, you have to laugh. CNN is going gonna, is gonna to cling to this fiction that it's an objective news network while allowing Jim Acosta to still be their, their chief White House correspondent. Jim Acosta, whose whole identity now is opposition to the president. And everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. But CNN pretends like that's not the case. Okay. Here is what he had to say about the state of the union. If you want really bad analysis, go to CNN. Play 25. Yeah, Anderson, I mean, I think this was a state of the base speech, not a state of the union speech. The state of the Trump base is strong. The state of the union is deeply divided. That was on display tonight. Gee, that's just great. The state of the union is deeply divided. Was it was it less deeply divided, really, under the Obama administration? Was there not? I mean, you know, President Obama, by the way, during a state of the union address, and I'll never forget this, called out the Supreme Court and lied by the way, about what the truth was of, of this is about Citizens United, which is, is now in the same list as of Halliburton. And, you know, there there are these, you know, the Koch brothers. There are these things that you're allowed to say as a leftist that you're that you think makes everyone else think you're smart and righteous, but really aren't what they think they are and that the left doesn't really know anything about anyway. And, and Citizens United is definitely one of them. People just say Citizens United and I, and I like to point out to them, it was the Obama administration's position in Citizens United that uh, a the federal government would be in the position to ban the publication of books before an election. 90 days, six months, whatever they decide. No books. Can't, can't write a book about this candidate or that candidate for the election unless the federal government says so. That was the Obama administration's position in Citizens United. And we're told that it's about foreign money through corporations and like buying our democracy or some other crap. These people have no idea what they're talking about. None. But they just yell it like they yell kids in cages, Citizens United, Halliburton, the Koch brothers. These are the things that idiot leftists say 
Because to actually learn anything, to engage with arguments, to have an understanding of what the other side really believes requires some discipline. And as you're acquiring that discipline of knowledge, you also have humility. Humility that comes from, wow, there's so much more for me to know. As you're going along, you recognize the limits of your own understanding of these issues and how there are people who devote their lives to just understanding one aspect of U.S. policy or trade, foreign policy, economics, whatever it may be. And we're all just trying to be as informed as we know, as we as we can, as we go through this process. But on the left, all you, you just have to know the slogans. And it's not just that you know the slogans and then you can disengage from politics beyond that because you don't really care. You know the slogans and then you can think you're smarter than everybody else. That's the, that's a unique facet. That's a unique trait of leftism in America. I mean, I know people that are apathetic about politics on both sides, but it's only the leftists that I come across, the Democrat diehard supporters who will be wildly ignorant about politics. And, and I'm always amazed, too, some of them who will come across me will know what I do. And they'll sort of say, oh, I don't really follow politics. And they'll say, but, you know, you've never thought of or have you ever thought of on some political issue where they think that I'm wrong or whatever it may be? And I look at them. And I'm like, yes, yes, my friend, I've thought of that. I do this all day. I do this all the time. I go to sleep at night thinking about politics and national security and culture and history. This show. I wake up thinking about this show. I read, I take notes, I research, I write, I it all about this show. So yes, yes, for people that are going to say, I don't really know or care about politics, but I've got some argument that's going to crush your side of it right now, I'm just giving them fair warning, it will not work and you will look foolish, libs. You know, I, I, I wouldn't walk into a you know, a $10 billion hedge fund and say, you guys don't really know how to do investments here. Let me tell you what's really going on. I would look foolish. But being a leftist means never having to tackle the reality of your own ignorance. It means never having to accept that you haven't put in the work because all you have to do is sign on for certain things, be a part of that team. And it's not just that you want those policies as a lib. It's that you are smarter than everybody who doesn't. That's the virtue signaling, personal branding piece of liberalism that is so potent for them. And it's why you have so many idiot leftists running around who still seem to think that Donald Trump colluded with Russia, the economy is bad, and Trump is literally worse than Hitler and Stalin. They are still out there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We had a good night last night in Iowa. And I, I know you think that's silly, but uh, everything we can feel is good. Here's the deal. We think we're going to come out of there really doing well. But, you know, we're, you know, be careful what you say because it's not done yet. I know the Iowa Democratic Party is trying to work through uh, all the issues with that application. They had that app and other problems. I said last night, let's give them time. And I'm not being critical. Let's give them time to work out those issues carefully and deliberately because a lot depends on it. So we don't know precisely how many delegates we have or how many we'll get, but I feel really good about getting more than our fair share. Yeah, let's give them time. More than, like, like, like how about days, maybe weeks, Joe Biden wants them to know. Take as much time as you want. Do we even need Iowa caucus results, Joe Biden is telling them? Do we even have to really see? You understand what the subtext is here. You understand what is between the lines. Joe Biden had a very bad night in Iowa. The guy who has been leading in all national polls until very recently where Bernie Sanders finally popped and was ahead in some. Joe Biden 
looks like he does, in fact, have some real weakness. Looks like he's not going to be the clear, sure thing favorite of the Democratic Party. And that's why he's kind of like, yeah, Iowa, we went, we went well first. I think he was in fourth place. Wait, let me think. No, it's Buttigieg, Warren, Bernie. Yes, fourth place. That's not strong. That's not good. And he's not going to go into New Hampshire all that much stronger. That's for sure. No matter what the final results are as, as they tally all this up, he's not going to go into New Hampshire and all of a sudden be in some great position. And so the firewall, so to speak, I mean, the the thing that's supposed to stop Biden from just no longer being the candidate that the establishment expects to win is South Carolina. Well, we'll have to see. We will have to see. Uh, because I, it, is, it is my belief, my expectation that Democrat primary voters who are African-American, who are the most important constituency for Joe Biden right now in his quest to become the next president of the United States, if they start to feel like, uh, or to become the Democrat nominee, let's start with that, if they start to feel like Biden can't get it done, they may say, well, let's put our support behind somebody who can get it done. And is that going to be Bernie? Is that going to be I don't think it's going to be Warren, but, you know, is it, 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 who knows? Who knows? And you can tell that Buttigieg has also moderated a little bit. He was going pretty hard left for a while. He was really, and, and this has been swept aside, but he was really running pretty much like he was the Midwest version of Beto O'Rourke with a bigger vocabulary and a better resume. But, I mean, he was really far. Buck, why do you have to be so mean? I, like, played in a band, and I was a man nanny. A Manny, uh, you know, Beto flamed out after trying to be the biggest fire-breathing leftist in the entire in the entire Democrat field. And he's like, "I'm just gonna take all your guns." I mean, he he was saying stuff that Democrats usually like don't say out loud. Buttigieg was trending more in that direction. He was doing a lot of this lecturing people about how, you know, if they're a Republican, basically, if they support Trump, they can't be a good Christian. And, oh, yeah, they're racist. And he still says that supporting Trump is basically racist. I mean, Buttigieg is a left-wing guy. But he's he's gone more with the, hey, no, I'm reasonable. I mean, I worked at McKinsey or Bain or wherever it was, whichever management consultancy was paying him too much to do very, very, uh, you know, over, uh, to, to do work. Well, we'll talk about management consultants another day. I was going to say management consultants are an interesting, interesting bunch. Um. And, you know, obviously he's Rhodes Scholar in the military service, and he's really just trying to say, hey, no, I'm, I'm a younger, more vibrant candidate for the future of the Democratic Party. Maybe maybe that does become what the establishment wants, because here's what we saw in the caucuses in Iowa, in Iowa. No matter what the final results are, wasn't a good night for Biden, which means it may not be a good primary for Biden either. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What really still bothers me that I can't get over is the 5149 vote on witnesses. Um, I think that my Republican colleagues should have listened to Senator Romney, yet they voted to not put a major witness under oath. That's going to be on them for the rest of their lives. You think the House should subpoena John Someone should subpoena John Bolton. It's not going to stop. I've been telling you this. You've been hearing it from some other folks, too, I'm sure. But don't think that the Democrats are going to accept the reality that it's over, you know, as the guy in Forgetting Sarah Marshall says about The Sopranos, it's over. Find a new show. <laughs> the 
<laughs> Democrats don't want to find a new show. The anti-Trump show is the only show they want to watch. And they're going to continue. Uh, they're going to. Con- By the way, I've been watching The Americans. I finally dove into it. And I will say The Americans is a really, really good show. I'm very impressed with how well done it is. And if you're looking for a show that gives you a little bit of, of a now, there's obviously plenty of it that's Hollywoodized a little too much. But if you're looking for a show that has some of the realities of espionage work, it's the Americans does a very I know it's been off the air now for a couple of years, but it's a very, very uh, good depiction of what it's kind of like to, you know, run sources and do all these things. So I thought it was I thought it was very good. Anyway, uh, the Democrats are not giving up on their anti-Trump madness. They're not they're not going to stop. They're not going to hold back. They they want to continue to push to get Bolton. And I think that what they're hoping is that Bolton will come forward and say that there was a, you know, there was pressure, there was a quid pro quo, and then they'll just have some news cycles where they talk about that, um, which doesn't really matter all that much because anybody who cares about Ukraine already cares, and they care because they hate Trump. So it didn't really matter even what the facts of the Ukraine fiasco were. But I'm here to tell you, they're going to impeach the president again if they can. They're going to they're going to take us through this again. They're they're not done. They don't feel chastened, really. They are a little flabbergasted. You can tell they're a little flabbergasted that this has not worked. Even um, CNN's fake tapper, the uh, the meanest so-called neutral journalist, the fakest and meanest neutral journalist that I think I know of on television. uh, Even he said that. Democrats are a little a little frustrated. Play 24. Donald Trump is having a week that is frustrating lots of Democrats. They had their Iowa imbroglio, a fiasco in the Iowa caucus. We still don't know who won that uh, that caucus, and we're still waiting for results. Uh, President Trump's approval ratings, according to Gallup, are the highest they've ever been. 49% approve, 50% disapprove. That's much higher than they were when he was elected. I think his approval rating was somewhere in the 30s, and he still was elected. Um, obviously, as the State of the Union, tomorrow uh, he is about to be acquitted in the impeachment trial, an impeachment that Speaker Pelosi did not even want to do. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, for Democrats, a very, very frustrating week. You don't say. <laughs> Tab will get credit for speaking truth to his own side here when it's like, yeah, dude, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's uh, pretty clear that <laughs> this has not been a good week for Democrats. They went from thinking that maybe they were going to get a buy, you know, at least some bipartisan votes. I don't know. I don't know. As I go on here now, folks, I don't know about Mitt. I don't know about Mitt. I usually he likes to make a lot of noise about being the the one true, honest, faithful conservative. And then he he backs out at the last minute. You know, then all of a sudden he's not such a tough guy. He's not so cool. He's not so uh, willing to take the heat. That's at least that's my my take on Mitt. Um I, I would not be shocked if Mitt Romney decides to vote in favor of conviction on abuse of power and against conviction on the uh, obstruction. Because, again, the, the obstruction count is, is, is complete. I mean, they might as well accuse Trump of, of assassinating Abraham Lincoln. I mean, it's completely bonkers. It's completely bonkers. And... That's just that's just the truth. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know if Mitt's going to go. I, I could see it because he knows that, that, that Trump's going to get acquitted. And Doug Jones, by the way, the reason he's voting 
to convict the president is because he wants to be in the good graces of the He knows he's not going to win re-election. He wants to be in the good graces of the Democrat Party going forward. Want to get a really cushy lobbying job, get on the speaker circuit. You know, there's, there's money at play here, folks. Never forget that. If you're a Democrat in good standing, people think that, you know, or rather the Democrats will take good care of you. They'll make sure that you have plenty of cash flow. Republicans are a little more like, yeah, thanks for serving the country. See you later. Go start a business. <laughs> good luck. A real business, not a, like I'm just going to go around and give speeches business. Uh, so it's not it has not been a good week for Democrats. And with the acquittal imminent of the president of the United States, uh, you have to wonder what the next phase of their insanity will be. I think you're going to see a, a rollout, a, a shotgun approach of a lot of different things that we've seen in the past. So we're going to get to the anti-Trump retreads now in the days ahead, the weeks ahead. You'll hear about Russia collusion again. You'll hear about Trump being not of sound mind and needs to be removed, uh, needs to be removed through the uh, amendment as prescribed in the Constitution, uh, you know, with with a cabinet essentially voting to with his own cabinet voting to remove him from office. Uh, that, that's what they are going to try now. They're just going to see what they and see what sticks in the news cycle. And because the opposition media, could you imagine if, if you work at CNN, if you work at some of these places and you're getting uh, constantly smacked down by the president? And it's amazing. I mean, it's it's delicious to hear and watch. It's great. Can you imagine the, the anxiety that they feel about four more years of this? Because their favorite thing is. They pretend, I mean, the mainstream corporate journalists pretend that they speak truth to power when really they're sycophants to power. They do whatever they can to get as close to power, to have as much access, and they also feel influence with that access as they can. Everyone understands that when you have a Democrat president, if you're writing for the Washington Post or the New York Times editorial pages or just you're a well-known reporter at those, at those places, if you're a big name CNN or ABC news journalist, any of these people, you have influence, never mind just access, which is dollars and cents, right? When Obama would grant interviews to certain news outlets and not others, there's money attached to that. I mean, I know about this because I work in this business, right? I, you know, if I if you get a, a sit down with the president of the United States, that's viewers, that's eyeballs, that's money. So these decisions have big implications. Uh, and, and they do look at the bottom line at places like CNN. I mean, the, the absurdity of CNN is that even with its crappy ratings, because of CNN International, which is the channel that's just on all over the world representing America and showing how awful Trump is and how bad America is all the time to the rest of the world. Thanks, CNN. Uh, and because of CNN.com, and it's created this, this really mythology of itself as a neutral place for fact-based journalism that libs who are not neutral like to th – th that plays into their sense of, well, I'm looking at the real journalism – and there's a premium that is paid for CNN as a result of that. People pay more money for, you know, advertisers pay more money for CNN for those eyeballs because it's the, you know, the elites and the educated and the wealthy on the coasts. And there's also a, a global brand attached to it. So unfortunately, it's not going anywhere is what I'm trying to say. I mean, it would be great if, you know, they had to do a rethink or a revamp, but that's not going to happen because it's, it's able to just continue as is and keep churning out money because of the legacy uh, the legacy brand that has been created there. Uh, but you're going to see a, a continuation of the anti-Trump efforts that you've already that have already become so familiar to us right now. It's not like after impeachment is done, there's going to be uh, some 
honeymoon here. The Democrats are running candidates right now to try to defeat President Trump. And after last night, they've got to be in shock about what their real chances are. After last night, they've got to be thinking, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? What are we going to do? Uh, Because when it comes to putting on a show, when it comes to theatrics, when it comes to campaigning, who do they really think they're going to put up against Donald Trump? Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders is like like somebody you would expect on a, on, a, on a sitcom or something. I mean, Bernie Sanders does not... I know Trump is a reality TV star, but Bernie Sanders is funny without intending to be funny a lot of the time. And Bernie Sanders is a bizarre guy. Honeymoon in the Soviet Union? He's really, in some ways, a, an unrepentant communist, never mind socialist. I mean, he believes in just using different mechanisms of the state in order to get whatever policy it is that he wants through. Um but this is who they're offering up to defeat the president of the United States. They, they I don't know. I, I got to think that there's no way that he could defeat Trump. But it is a crazy, it's a, it is a crazy world. I'll say this. You can call me a visionary, but it's a crazy world we live in right now. That is for sure. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of the Democrat scramble than we have in a long time to come up with some way of undermining a president that they've just got nothing on right now. Um, here's, a, here's here's Jimmy Kimmel, by the way, on the State of the Union. I almost shared this, too, that it did seem at one point like Trump is going to say, you get a car, you get a car, because there was such an energy and excitement in the room over what was such an incredible speech. Of course, the left mocks this and says, oh, it's all, of course it's theatrics, it's State of the Union address. The whole thing is optics. The whole thing is basically optics. Here's uh Jimmy Kimmel, who also is supposed to be like the meanest comedian in the world, but play a uh, 23. Trump promised he would always protect patients with pre-existing conditions, which is something I will definitely remind him of when he most certainly does exactly the opposite of that. It really is brazen how he just says things and then does the opposite of them. He also gave Rush Limbaugh the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is, Today is uh, Rosa Parks Day, and this is a medal they gave Rosa Parks tonight. Rush Limbaugh got it. And then Trump turned his plan to cripple public schools into what was basically a game show. To cripple public schools. No, notice how, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, that guy's making $20 million a year. Kids go to private school, I'm sure of it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he just spews the Democrat talking points on this one. Cripple public schools. Charter schools are public schools, you idiot. It's just a different approach to educating kids and allows people who care enough about where their kids go to school to pick a good school, which means that those kids will also often be surrounded with other kids who care. Because guess what? There's some people who don't care. There are bad parents. That does exist. There are bad students, too. Oh, we're never allowed to talk about this. But the selection of caring about where your child goes to school, a kid who who yearns for a better school. Is, is, all, is in so many cases much more likely to succeed because caring about this is the differentiator. That's what matters. Some people don't care. But what the state tells you, what Jimmy Kimmel ha 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 tells you is, well, if you're not well off, if you're not making millions of dollars a year to really write bad anti-Trump jokes and, and you know, and it don't even get me started. I mean, the late night, I used to watch, I mean, Jay Leno used to be funny. I'm not saying he's not funny anymore, but you know, Jay Leno did a show that was meant to be funny. I always thought that uh, I was never a Letterman person. I thought Letterman was a smarmy jerk. And, and I knew people who worked for him, and they were always like, oh, yeah, no, he's a bad dude. Bad dude. 
then we found out what his behavior was like when he was running a show, and you know, no surprises there. Um, it's it's amazing some of these people, the careers that they've had based on a really mediocre to subpar talent, but they just, you know, the right corporate execs like them and they push them along and the cartel, the media cartel is behind them. You know, the executive cartel says you're going to be the guy. And Jimmy Kimmel, the guy, I remember the, the best work he ever did was, uh, you know, the funny stuff he ever did was The Man Show, which now, oh my gosh, if you try to do The Man Show, you'd get, you'd get in all kinds of trouble, right? Because it was, but at least they were trying to make jokes. Now Jimmy Kimmel goes on TV and does Democratic talking points with a little laugh line at the end. Ha ha. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that he really cares a whole lot about where minority children go to public, you know, how good the public schools are that minority children go to. Um, and it clearly triggered the libs big time that Rush Limbaugh got such a, a well-deserved shout out uh, last night. That really upset them. So that was to be, that was to be expected. Oh, wait, there was one more. I didn't, I didn't get to this before. There was one more thing that I thought was really uh, heartfelt and, and great from the speech. I just left this out. When Trump uh, did, you know those videos you see of a soldier returning home and surprising either one of his kids or her kids or, you know, a spouse? Trump did one of those at the State of the Union address in real time. Producer Mark, play 11, please. Especially spouses like Amy Williams from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and her two children, six-year-old Eliana and three-year-old Rowan. Amy works full-time and volunteers countless hours helping other military families. For the past seven months, she has done it all while her husband, Sergeant First Class Townsend Williams, is in Afghanistan on his fourth deployment in the Middle East. Amy's kids haven't seen their father's face in many months. Amy, your family's sacrifice makes it possible for all of our families to live in safety and in peace, and we want to thank you. Thank you, Amy. But Amy, there is one more thing. Tonight, we have a very special surprise. I am thrilled to inform you that your husband is back from deployment. He is here with us tonight, and we couldn't keep him waiting any longer. Great moment. Fantastic State of the Union address. Fantastic presidency so far. Trumpster is getting it done. And I, I have it on good authority from very highly placed sources that President Trump is not tired of winning. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We don't hate the word pet. We're encouraging people to use a but better it's in word. Your actual okay. name. Let me ask you then: What are you changing <laughs> the name acronym. of your organization to? <laughs> it's an acronym. It what will you be changing that. the name of your organization to? We're not planning on changing. But the it's name got of pet in it. I Literally think, called pet. I think you're missing the point, and there is. Really? Academic you keep reason. telling me I'm missing the point. I think I'm on point, really. Yes, I just yeah. think you want to ban the word we pet. We don't want to ban it. You want anything. your organization to carry on being called. Petter. That's because it's the, see the problem. the ethical treatment of animals. Yeah, so it's but a pet short is offensive. I'm offended by your but use it, of the it, word it, pet. It's not offensive. We're not telling anyone it's offensive. Animals aren't offensive. You're literally telling people not to use the word pet. No, That's not. why you're we're, here. We're suggesting that people could use the word companion. I'm suggesting you should call yourself so much companion ah, then. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I love when British people have stupid arguments. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, oh, but what side of the crumpet do you butter first? Why do you butter the bottom side of your crumpet, sir? You know, that it's just, it's, it automatically sounds like it's important somehow, you know? 
Like, do you put on both your socks first, or do you put on one sock and one shoe and then repeat that process on the other foot? <laughs> that was Piers Morgan, who used to have his own show at CNN, which is amazing when you think about it. He's like, I don't, I don't know anything about the Constitution, but I don't like guns, so let's just ban them from people. Let's not let them have them, because, you know, British people should come over to America to tell you how to live your lives here. Because we've still got a monarch, so we really know what's going on. Uh, I, I I just love this, though. So the, the argument there, in case you could pick up on it or it wasn't really clear, people for the ethical treatment of animals, PETA, PETA uh, doesn't want people to refer to animals that they have as pets as pets anymore. Uh, because, quote, when you refer to animals as not the living beings they are, but as inanimate objects, it can reflect our treatment on these animals, end quote. Um, all I can tell you is, like, my mom and dad, like, cook special grass-fed beef for their French bulldog. <laughs> that dog has a better—that dog has a better wardrobe than I do. And I mean, like, I think more money has been spent on it, okay? Tallulah, the Sexton family French bulldog, is about as pampered a pooch as you will find anywhere on the planet and, and is treated plenty well. And, yes, we still call her a pet. But now you can't call her a pet because it's like if you reach down and pet it— it's like you're you're not showing full respect, says the Peter people. Yeah, I just thought we should weigh in on that one. I think we could still call them pets. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. Time for roll call. All righty. All right, team. Uh, we've got roll call coming our way, so let's get into all of the latest. Producer Mark now prints out roll call for me because I'm it's it's like I'm it's like I'm fancy now. Like I, I'm, I'm just fancy. here to make your life easier. Yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna tell you something. You know, I, I got a little I was so into the State of the Union last night that I uh, I had a couple of ribeyes or a ribeye that, I, that I'd gotten that I was going to make, but I decided to just take a, a uh, T-bone out of the, out of the uh, defrosted it or took it out of the fridge instead. So I, I cooked a different steak than I was planning, so I'm saving those ribeyes for later. Um, but I got so into the State of the Union address that I actually ex- exceeded my reverse sear, and I think I cooked the steak almost medium well, and I was yeah. very sad. Yeah. you know, But it's good to do that once in a while because you remind yourself what a gray, formless, drab existence it is when you go into that medium to medium well category on your steak. At least you didn't go well done by accident. No, I did not go fully mm. well done. I mean there was still a faint pink color, but it was a good it was a good reminder, you know what I mean? It's kind of like sometimes you sometimes you got to burn your hand on the stove and you, you got to remember to use the little oven mitts or whatever. Sure. This was like that. It's like I'm I'm never going to you got to get in there when you're reverse searing and be very like a little chemist. You got to get in there and make sure you're taking the temperature on the inside every time. How did you make the steak better? Did you go to a little barbecue sauce, maybe some A1? I mean, I, I may have used a little bit of uh, aioli that I, I like from the Stonewall Kitchen. You are so bougie. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I didn't really want to admit that on the air, but yeah, it was I made good. you. <laughs> I may have a little Stonewall Kitchen truffle aioli that occasionally. Oh my god, truffle aioli! Oh yeah, it's like it's like eighteen dollars. It's really good. You it's are really such good. a Manhattanite. I know. I ate it with a monocle and a top hat on, of which makes you it did. which makes it taste better. You dress like the Monopoly know. Man every time <laughs> you eat right. steak. There was no one in my apartment, but I took my little cane and banged it on the table a few times and said, "Faster, Jeeves, faster!" 
but there was no Jeeves. There was so, no Jeeves, yeah. yeah I'm going to have to get you someone named Jeeves. Yeah, my neighbors must have thought I was being abusive to someone because I was, I was sure. banging that banging that little cane on the table as I was eating my overdone steak with my aioli. But I will tell you, it's almost like Nutella, which makes anything taste better. For those wondering, truffle aioli mm. makes everything taste better. Sounds like something I would only eat out. When I'm going to give it? you a little, oh, for sure. A little thing, though. If you ever see truffle, usually it's truffled mayo, they'll say. Yeah. Sometimes they'll call it truffled aioli. I hate mayo. You hate mayo? Despise it. I don't even know how that's possible. I because it's here. disgusting. That's, that's Just the, the smell of it, like, ugh. You know, and there's actually the best mayo is Sir Kensington. There's no such thing. Yeah, it's the best. the best. It's mayo. amazing. People all are all it. into Hellman's, I'm telling you, Sir Kensington, because the guy actually does have like a top hat and a monocle, by the mm. way. I mean, the, the Sir Kensington mascot or whatever is so a- So now what you're saying is you only eat food where the mascot has a top hat and a monocle. I mean, if- You it, must love peanuts. If you, if it looks like somebody who, you know, <laughs> who, who were, would be a Monopoly character- is the one eating your food? Don't you feel like they have enough disposable income to pick the best? Think about it that way. Uh, I guess so. Do, don't think. Is not that how Pasco you pick your dog food? Also, there's a little dog. Oh no, my parents. My, it's so funny. Like I'll come over, and it, if I when I go visit my parents, usually it's it's like order in, but then I'll be like, well, but Tallulah, the Frenchie, she gets like meals cooked for her, and she and Wait, by the so way, you'll order she will, in for the for no, I have to order in for myself, and then the, the Frenchie will get you know we'll she get has her own food. yeah she gets food cooked for her. But what's amazing is if you try to give her, usually when you give a dog any people food, they get super excited and sure. they'll just, you know, they'll eat it all, you know, whatever it is. I, I, Tulu will come over. I'm telling if I tried to give her some of that well done T bone that I, I made last night, she would have sniffed it and said, no, I'm sorry. Do better next time. She's not into it. She's very fussy. So some dogs get fussy. Yeah. By the way, this, uh, this PETA, PETA, pet thing or whatever. Uh, I guess do Brits call it PETA? Maybe they do. I think it's PETA, but I always said I thought that. it was PETA. Yeah, I thought it, I always thought it was PETA, but uh, they do have a really cute photo of a of a Chihuahua with one of those like collars on that makes it not able to bite its stitches. So, you know, at least PETA's got that. At least they've got cute dog photos that they can share when they're spewing their propaganda. Just about don't call it a pet. Changing the English language. That's exactly right. All right, I, I said roll call and I meant it, so we will get to it. JJ from SoCal, Buck. I was very upset with Ms. Warren for her completely disgusting objectification of Dwayne Johnson. As a woman of color, she should know how problematic it is. The patriarchy consistently casts people of color as the sexy sidekick or the femme fatale, characters without substance and whose physical assets are their only contribution to the story. Treating Mr. Johnson as a bit of man candy is deplorable on her part. And she is winking at me here, shields high. Uh, so JJ is obviously being facetious. But I'm telling you, when the rock, when the rock just starts bulging those biceps and throwing around those heavy plates in the gym, woo, it gives a lady the vapors. I'm just saying, she likes the rock. I can't, I can't change what she said. I just picture Elizabeth Warren saying that. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. It's it when the rock comes to town, it's raining rock. You know, something like that. Uh, Guile. Yo, Buckman, I just caught the end of the State of the Union on ABC. All they could say was how divisive it was and loving Pelosi tearing up the papers. I can't understand how these people, considered by the half the country to be professionals, don't realize what a pack of whining babies they come across as. Guile, I mean, it's it's just the reality now that, that people believe what they want to believe and they don't extend any 
grace uh, to Republicans uh, from the coast. They don't extend any effort to see it from the other side. And they've just look, I really think that there's been a, a level of brainwashing that has occurred in American society now for liberals where it's I don't even know if you can have a conversation anymore. In fact, I saw a poll recently. I think it was 40 percent of people heard something from somebody else about politics and now they won't talk politics with them anymore. I can't I can't say that that's a bad approach. I couldn't tell you that it's worth it to try and address these issues with a really a true believer lib because they're wacko. I mean, they will they will come after you. They'll come at you. They they really think that they always know better than you. I'm, I'm very interested in hearing the arguments of intelligent liberals. I, I want to know what they think. And this is this is true, by the way. They've done studies on this. Conservatives, especially conservatives, let's limit this to conservatives who are politically engaged, are far more likely to understand and be able to describe the position of liberals on an issue than liberals are about conservatives. They, this is this is a fact. I mean, they have they have looked into this. They've done studies. They've done polling. Uh, if you know, if you want on any given day, I mean, I could come in here and I could do a fake version of an MSNBC pundit any on, on any issue any day. I know what at least some of them will be saying on something, and it's really what they will be saying. I'm not I wouldn't have to do a, a parody of it and pretend. I mean, if you wanted me to, I could come in here and give you the here's what the libs will say. I know what they will say. I know how they think. I understand them. I grew up amongst them here in New York City. Among versus amongst. You know, I never really know. Do we have a ruling on that? What's the does amongst just make you sound like you're kind of a, you know, a guy who eats steak with truffle aioli? I think it probably does. Uh, but, yeah, among, I grew up among the libs here in New York City, which will also be fun because now I get to talk to my fellow conservatives behind liberal lines here in NYC on WOR starting on Monday, 6 to 7 Eastern, which is very, very exciting. So, yes, indeed. Um, where was I on this? Oh, yeah. Guile, yeah, the libs are crazy. So that's the bottom line. John, howdy, Buck. The State of the Union is strong. That actually was not the Constitution that Nutty Nancy tore up last night. She tore that up a long time ago. Well, John, thanks for the shout-out for my joke on Twitter. I know it was not the Constitution she tore up, but I get what you're saying, too, which is that she does not really much care about the Constitution. Mark. Not to be confused with producer Mark. I really enjoy your show, Buck. I spend a lot of time in my car. I look forward to you every day. Aside from your political observations, I like your mastery of the language. I've learned quite a bit about how to communicate from listening to you. I've even learned some new words. Two of my favorites from you are oleaginous and unserious. Keep up the good work. Your thoughts and observations are important to multitudes of Americans. Well, Mark, thank you so much for the uh, very generous compliment. I will say one thing that we do here, because we have transcripts of the show that go up on BuckSexton.com, right? Don't we do that sometimes? A little, yeah. <laughs> Producer Mark is like when he has time. Okay, sometimes we put them up. And I, I will say that one thing I'm proud of here on this show is we tend to use very few filler words, and we don't have a lot of the verbal tics that I will say even some very accomplished uh, radio hosts tend to have with, you know, I mean, because, you know, like, uh, because, um, it, yeah, um, it, you listen to other shows and they have a lot of that. I try to use precision of language because I don't want to waste any time, waste any effort, waste any of your time here on the show. So that's why 
I would rather pause and think about what comes next than just, yeah, you know, because, like, it's, you know, I, I mean, I could sit here, too, and just kind of go stream of consciousness, like, and talk about, yeah, I mean, uh, stuff. And uh, that's how most people's shows sound. Not to be that guy who's like, we don't sound that way, but that's what I'm saying. So I appreciate, Mark, that you appreciate our exceptional uh, clarity and usage of language. Michael Buck, I used to drink normal brand whole milk, but I have a small child and we gave him organic whole milk. I drank it one day and producer Mark is totally correct. It is far better tasting. Shields high. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Mr. Fancy Producer Mark, you drink that like 550 a gallon milk. You don't drink I mean, that like white plastic jug milk that's like $3 a I gallon. I will drink the white plastic jug milk. Yeah, I, you're I, a I fancy. Who drinks milk as an adult? You probably you only drink milk from cows where you like know the lineage of the cow yeah. and you know the name, you know, you know that that cow was was given all the creature comforts sure. of cowdom uh-huh. and, you know, all that they stuff. They sleep in a king-size bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You only want a cow with an air conditioner, all 500 mm-hmm. cable channels, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you can actually eat it. It right? does taste or better. Or drink but... it, rather. I guess you could eat it, too, but... It, it yeah. tastes better. Have you ever had organic Oh, milk? yeah, no, of course. It tastes delicious. Do you, you think I haven't had bougie milk? I have... I have... <laughs> Walnut milk in my fridge yeah. right now. You've got a whole refrigerator full of bougie milk. Oh, I've got my, my yeah. refrigerator does not represent uh, does not represent like a, a normal person's refrigerator. Mm. I, I like I like bougie stuff. I keep I keep a little bit of brie in a compartment in my fridge just for emergencies, just in <laughs> case just in case you need a little emergency brie. You, you never know when that's going to come up. You know, someone's you, like you Buck, must you- pay as much in for food as you do for rent. Um, well, the thing is, I, I end up, I, I have very, I don't keep a lot of food in the fridge because I'm a single guy. So most of the stuff I keep, I live out of the freezer, but but I do cook. So I end up defrosting things and then cooking them a fair amount. But yeah, no, I spent I spend too much money on food. I mean, you sure. go out of New York City, I mean, you know, dude, I, I don't know when when you and the missus had your last Manhattan date night. Oh, but you go out, you go to a, you go out to a restaurant in New York City, you get just a standard restaurant. I'm not talking anything fancy. You go to a standard restaurant in New York City, two people, and you get each let's say one glass of wine you're spending 150 bucks yeah that's what it is that's why i don't go pretty out much Manhattan. whether it's like a decent mexican place or a you know sushi or it doesn't matter you go out two glasses of wine appetizer appetizer and entree for two people 150 bucks it's not that much different on long island buck well long island's not far away yeah. i know yeah I, I, <laughs> you have you have fancy restaurants in long island sir yeah. too many yeah actually there are a lot out there yeah. i think about it is there what's the fav, what's your favorite you know, when, when you guys have have date night is there one place that you you know that's like your not that you go to the most necessarily but you like the most uh yeah her favorite restaurant has always been this place called Snaps in Wontaw it's actually mm. a new one in Rockville what Center kind of food it's just American food you know just general bistro type yeah new yeah. American yeah, yeah that's kind of my favorite too they have some great stuff what is your go to protein at a restaurant not steak because we'll put that aside if you can't if they're out of the steak we got chicken pork. Uh, you know, I mean, I fish, guess halibut. You go chicken, scallops. I mean, everything that's on the new American. Well, you're not menu. saying steak. No, steak is off because that's obviously the. Well, it depends on what go-to. type of cuisine. Because if you're going new Italian, American, we're going new American. New American. What is your go-to protein? A lot of Duck. them have like short rib, short that type rib. of thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's Do always you, a go. Short rib is my. If I can't have steak, short rib is my next choice. Yeah, usually. And if I can't have short rib, duck is my next choice. 
Chicken I do last usually, even though some chicken can be great because I make it for myself and I feel like sure. chicken's the one I eat the most anyway. Well, like at Italian, you'll do ch- I'll do chicken yeah. parm. That's my favorite thing. Or a Mexican restaurant, chicken fajitas. I love scallops. Maybe. My problem with scallops is that I always want twice as many scallops as they give me and they're of expensive. Course. You know, you get like a like a $25, $30 scallop entree. It's like two or three little little wimpy scallops. That's where you get the scallop appetizer. Well, then that's like one, you know, yeah, wimpy scallop one or that they two. charge you $18 for. It's yeah. insane. So this is why I've learned how to cook. All right. Lori's up in roll call now. Buck, just watch the State of the Union speech. Never thought I'd make it through a speech that long without any missteps or mispronunciations. I noted only one. It was fantastic speech overall. Um, when speaking about sanctuary policies, Trump said sanctuary. Okay. I mean, you know, that happens. Brian. Buck, I saw that Nancy Pelosi ripped up her copy of the State of the Union address. Maybe you could use a contact to convince Trump to hand out laminated copies next year. Uh, Brian, I will see what I can do about that. But yeah, no, that was it was just such a petty, silly thing. I almost wish that we would focus less on it because I think that it, in a sense it is a distraction from. Oh, I didn't even mention the response to the State of the Union, which it was given. I think Whitmer was her name. Even she doesn't remember the speech today. I mean, it was, but it was a good move for the Democrats. They just put a, you know, a, a competent, you know, appealing female governor on TV to just be like, well, Democrats want to do nice things too. And it's like, okay, she's done. Like, it was very, they weren't swinging for the fences. They were just trying to get on base with that. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say they didn't get on first base with it. It was fine as a, as a response. It was not some disaster, but they were smart not to, not to swing for the fences because they would have noticed all the baseball analogies, producer Mark. Proud, right? See, I, I know the I know swing for the fences. I know the things. But you hate baseball. Yeah, and I don't hate it. I'm gonna learn more about it. Now that we got WR, by the way, I might have to wait for baseball season to take producer Mark to a game because I don't know if we're gonna be able to get to a hockey game in time because now I gotta be in studio until seven Eastern every night. So we're working on that. You but, know, Buck, they they play sports on weekends. I didn't think about that. They <laughs> there are hockey games on weekends. Of, of course, hockey, baseball, all sports. That's a good point. Okay, so now my my little uh, get out of get out of hockey free card is gone. But we, we will go to a hockey game then, and I do hope that you will uh, all tell people about the Buck Sexton show. It's a good day for us here. The addition of W O R to our station lineup is fantastic. So six to seven Eastern. Like I said though, that's a different show than what you're listening to right now. That's an additional hour we will be doing. So you want to keep listening to this show, but if you can. Tune in on WOR if you're in the New York area or on the WOR, on the uh, iHeart app. You can listen to 710 WOR, 6 to 7 Eastern, Monday through Friday, starting on Monday. So good day for America, good day for Trump, good day for freedom, good day for the Freedom Hut. Shields high.